As we prepare to hear from God, please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. By your word, mold us and fill us so that we can be used by you in the world. As individuals and as a community of faith. Be with us now. Speak to us. We're listening. Amen. Some of you probably already know this, but my parents were very intentional about choosing my name. You see, I am the third daughter in my family, and my parents always thought that children were a joy. And so they named me Trinity Joy because I am their third joy. I also happen to be the last of their children, and so I live up to all the hype that is the baby of the family. You never would have guessed that, I know. When I read our story in Genesis this morning, and I hear about Joseph, I can't help but feel rather sympathetic for him as the youngest child. The difference between Joseph and myself, though, is that I was never bold or unwise enough to antagonize my older sisters the way he is going to goad his brothers. In case you don't remember, Vicki hit on some of this for us in our children's time. Joseph was a son of Jacob and his wife, Rachel. Rachel was his most beloved wife. Jacob had ten sons with other wives, but when Rachel finally gave birth to Joseph, it was as if Jacob could see no one else. To show his great love for his son Joseph, he even gave him an amazing coat. As Joseph grew, he began to have dreams. And instead of keeping those dreams to himself, he decided to share them. Gloating as his father's favorite child, Joseph told his brothers of a dream that he had where they would all bow down to him. Well, that was the last straw for his brothers. It was too much for him to handle. And so they sold him into slavery and acted as though he was killed by a wild animal in the field. Jacob is heartbroken that Joseph has died. But, thanks be to God, Rachel has been able to give birth to another son, Benjamin. As time goes by, Joseph travels from slave traders to which his brother has sold him into the house of Pharaoh, where he is in charge of caring for their grain. His interpretation of dreams has allowed him to save them from famine. You see, a famine has come to the land of Canaan, where Jacob and his sons live. But Joseph has prepared the Egyptians to store up the grain for such a time as this. Which leads us to our scripture this morning. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 42 
verses 1 through 17. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, you can find it on page 34. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at one another? I've heard, he said, that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared harm might come to him. Thus, the sons of Israel were among the other people who came to buy grain, for the famine had reached the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Although Joseph had recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph also remembered the dream that he had dreamed about them. He said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. But he said to them, No, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of a certain man in the land of Cana. The youngest, however, is, is now with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is just as I have said to you, you are spies. Here is how you shall be tested. As Pharaoh lives, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Let one of you go and bring your brother while the rest of you remain in prison in order that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else Pharaoh live as Pharaoh lives, surely you are spies." And he put them all together in prison for three days. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love going to the grocery store. It's kind of a happy place for me. Probably because of how much I love food, but also because I'm a little bit nerdy and I kind of like to make it a game. So when I'm making my shopping list at home, I try to make sure that I put the items in the order that they'll be when I go through the store so that I don't go down any aisle more than once. As an added bonus, I really love when I go to the grocery store and I get to run into somebody I know because it's always a chance for me to catch up. For example, at least once a month, 
I'm probably going to run into Ben Powell, the director of Dogwood Acres at the Lake Ella Publix. It never fails, we're on the same shopping schedule. It's always nice to get to see folks and just say hello. That was until the pandemic hit. For several months into the mask wearing, I'm pretty sure that I unintentionally ghosted every person I passed in the grocery store. It was like, because people had a mask covering their nose and their mouth, I just didn't recognize them. I started to feel guilty about it because I pride myself in being a people person, that I can recognize your face and remember your name, but I just wasn't able to do it. Thankfully, I was able to release some of that guilt when I read a study from the neuroscience department of York University in Toronto. It says that they found the human ability to recognize a face is reduced about 15% when a mask covers both the nose and the mouth. As time has gone on, I've spent a lot more time now making sure to look people in the eye and really listen to their voice so that now, mask or not, people don't feel like strangers to me. Joseph doesn't have the excuse of a mask. His brothers have come to ask him for help, to find grain for their family in order to survive. He completely recognizes who they are, and instead of giving them a warm welcome, the scripture says he acts as if they were strangers. This does not catch the brothers by surprise because they do not recognize Joseph. They certainly were not looking for him among Pharaoh's officers. And so it's understanding that these brothers think they're dealing with a stranger. Often when I study scripture, I'm looking for behaviors to emulate. However, as much as I want to connect with this favorite child, the baby boy of Jacob, I think this morning in our scripture lesson, we're given more of a how not to. Perhaps Joseph is trying to get a little bit of payback. After all, his brothers kidnapped him and held him in a cistern in the ground until they could sell him into slavery. It seems tit for tat, cistern for jail cell. Maybe even Joseph is a good strategist, and he has thought this out long beyond these steps and has determined that the only way he will get Benjamin and his father to Egypt is by throwing his brothers in jail. Whatever the reasoning, Joseph treats his brothers as if they were strangers. He falsely accuses them of being spies. He throws them into prison. I imagine for an early Jewish audience, they will notice the problematic treatment here. When the story says that Joseph acted as though his brothers were strangers, it should be a flag for the audience to listen up. 
You see, in the first five books of the Old Testament alone, the Hebrew word ger is used almost 50 times. It's the word that is translated here as stranger, and in other places as alien, foreigner, or newcomer. God's law required not only that you acknowledge the stranger, but that you went so far as to make sure their needs were met. In Leviticus, for example, it says that when you're harvesting your crops, you should leave the edges and gleaning for the gear, for the foreigners or strangers in your midst. After the Exodus, Scripture is emphatic that God's people are to be reminded that they should not mistreat or oppress the stranger. Remember, you were foreigners once in Egypt, the scripture says, both in Exodus and Leviticus. When a stranger or a newcomer is in our midst, as God's children, we have a responsibility and a command to welcome and help provide, to treat them like they are part of our family. This isn't the only way to read the Joseph story, but today I see Joseph's story shining a light for us on exactly what not to do. How could he treat his brothers this way? He knows what it's like to be cast aside. He knows what it feels like to fear for his life. And if these were strangers, why in the world would he make false accusations instead of helping meet their needs? However, the good news of Joseph's story, as Miss Vicki just reminded us a moment ago, is that it does not end in Genesis 42, verse 7. God is at work, bringing reconciliation between brothers and fathers and sons. Joseph eventually reveals his true identity and is reunited with his younger brother and father and provides for his family and their needs for many years to come. If you turn on your TV to a news channel for any length of time, the story is hard to miss. In August of last year, the Taliban overtook the government in Afghanistan. With this upheaval, many people have been forced to flee the country because they're at risk at being targeted for their past work associations, whether with coalition forces, Afghanistan's former government, international development programs, media, or other organizations that promote human rights. What you might not know is that within the past four months, more than 40 families and 18 individuals from Afghanistan have been resettled in the city of Tallahassee, some as recent as last week and there are still more slated to come. These families were resettled here with no personal belongings, often 
not knowing our language or where to begin in navigating this community and our governmental systems. The International Rescue Committee is seeking to support these families, but the need is great and their resources are limited. Members of this congregation have begun to ask the question, how can we help? They are working to help coordinate a multi-faith effort to adopt these families, as well as set up a larger network to make sure that their medical, transportation, employment, and other basic needs are met. This is a tangible example of how we can live out the lesson from today's scripture. In the days and weeks to come, I'm hopeful that we will be able to support one or two of these families and help meet their needs, acclimating them to this community, welcoming the stranger in our midst. Of course, this isn't the only way to be about the work of welcoming the stranger. But I personally feel called to care for these strangers in our midst. And if the Spirit moves you, I invite you to reach out and join in. If God can bring reconciliation for Joseph and his brothers, if God can use a scarred and broken person like Joseph, then I am confident that God can and wants to use us to do the same in our lives today. There will be times that it might make us uncomfortable. Joseph had to be vulnerable in finally revealing his identity to his brothers. I imagine it wasn't easy for him. I believe that welcoming the stranger and helping provide for their needs will not be easy for us. However, the command is for us, just as it was for the people of Israel. Welcome the stranger in your midst. Provide for the newcomer in your community. May our eyes be open to the strangers around us. May we show welcome. May we share what we have. In doing so, we will be part of God's reconciling work to bring about the kingdom here on earth. To the glory of God. Amen.